0: Glad you're here with me today. This is the one-year Bible reading for July 21st. And we are in 2nd Chronicles this morning, starting in chapter 4, the first verse, and Solomon is building the temple. Solomon also made a bronze altar 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 15 feet high. Then he cast a large round tank 15 feet across from rim to rim. It was called the sea. It was seven and a half feet long and about 45 feet in circumference. The sea was encircled just below its rim by two rows of figures that resembled oxen. There were about six oxen per foot all the way around, and they had been cast as part of the tank. The sea rested on a base of twelve bronze oxen, all facing outward. Three faced north, three faced west, three faced south, and three faced east. The walls of the sea were about three inches thick and its rim flared out like a cup and resembled a lily blossom. It could hold about 16,500 gallons of water. Lilies are a recurrent theme throughout the temple and um, we know that Jesus is referred to as the lily of the valley. He also made 10 basins for water to wash the offerings, five to the south of the sea and five to the north. The priests used the sea itself and not the basins for their own washing. Solomon then cast ten gold lampstands according to the specifications that had been given and put them in the temple. Five were placed against the south wall and five were placed against the north wall. He also built ten tables and placed them in the temple, five along the south wall and five along the north wall. Then he molded one hundred gold basins. Solomon also built a courtyard for the priests and a large outer courtyard. He made doors for the courtyard entrances and overlaid them with bronze. The sea was placed near the southeast corner of the temple. Huram Abi also made the necessary pots, shovels, and basins. So at last, Huram Abi completed everything King Solomon had assigned him to make for the temple of God. Two pillars, two bowl-shaped capitals on top of the pillars— two networks of chains that decorated the capitals, 400 pomegranates that hung from the chains on the capitals, two rows of pomegranates for each of the chain networks that were hung around the capitals on top of the pillars. The pomegranates are interesting to me too because some people believe that the fruit in the garden was actually a pomegranate. So I haven't done a lot of study on that, but if anybody has any interest in uh, in telling me about pomegranates, I would love to know the water carts holding the basin, the sea and the twelve oxen under it, the pots, the shovels, the meat hooks, and all the related utensils. Haram Abi made all these things out of burnished bronze for the temple of the Lord, just as King Solomon had requested. The king had them cast in clay molds in the Jordan Valley between Succoth and Zarethan. Such great quantities of bronze were used that its weight could not be determined. So Solomon made all the furnishings for the temple of God, the gold altar, the tables for the bread of the presence, the lampstands and their lamps of pure gold to burn in front of the most holy place as prescribed, the flower decorations, lamps and tongs, all of pure gold, the lamp snuffers, dishes, basins and firepans, all of pure gold, the doors for the entrances to the most holy temple and the main room of the temple overlaid with gold. When Solomon had finished all the work related to building the temple of the Lord, he brought in the gifts dedicated by his father, King David, including all the silver and gold and all the utensils. These were stored in the treasuries of the temple of God. Solomon then summoned the leaders of all the tribes and families of Israel to assemble in Jerusalem. They were to bring the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from its location in the city of David, also known as Zion, to its new place in the temple. They all assembled before the king at the annual festival of shelters in early autumn. When all the leaders of Israel arrived, the Levites moved the ark along with the special tent and all its sacred utensils. The Levitical priests carried them all up to the temple. King Solomon and the entire community of Israel sacrificed sheep and oxen before the ark in such numbers that no one could keep count. Then the priests carried the ark of the Lord's covenant into the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings out over the ark, forming a canopy over the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the front entrance of the temple's main room, the holy place, but not from outside it. They are still there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except for two stone tablets that Moses had placed there at Mount Sinai, when the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel after they left Egypt. Then the priests left the holy place. All the priests who were present had purified themselves, whether or not they were on duty that day. And the Levites, who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jeduthun, and all their, their sons and brothers were dressed in fine linen robes and stood at the east side of the altar playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were joined by 120 priests who were playing trumpets. The trumpeteers and the singers performed together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Can you imagine what 120 trumpets sounds like altogether? Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they, pray, they raise their voices and praise the Lord with these words, He is so good. His faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their work because the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. Then Solomon prayed, O Lord, you have said that you would live in thick darkness, but I have built a glorious temple for you where you can live forever. Then the king turned around to the entire community of Israel, standing before him and gave this blessing. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father David. For he told my father, from the day I brought my people out of Israel, I'm sorry, out of Egypt, I have never chosen a city from among the tribes of Israel as the place where a temple should be built to honor my name, nor have I chosen a king to lead my people Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem as that city and David as that king. Then Solomon said, my father David wanted to build this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord told him, It is right for you to want to build the temple to honor my name, but you will not be the one to do it. Your sons will build it instead. And now the Lord has done what he promised, for I have become king in my father's place. I have built this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There I have placed the ark, and in the ark is the covenant that the Lord made with the people of Israel. Romans chapter 7. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only to a person who is still living? Let me illustrate. When a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law and does not commit adultery when she remarries. So this is the point. The law no longer holds you in its power because you died to its power when you died with Christ on the cross, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, you can produce good fruit, that is, good deeds for God. When we were controlled by our old old nature, sinful desires were at work within us. And the law aroused these evil desires that produce sinful deeds, resulting in death. But now we have been released from the law, for we died with Christ, and we are no longer captive to its power. Now we can really serve God, not in the old way, by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way, by the Spirit. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is evil? Of course not. The law is not sinful. But it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin took advantage of this law and aroused all kinds of forbidden desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. I felt fine when I did not understand what the law demanded, but when I learned the truth, I realized I had broken the law and was a sinner doomed to die. So the good law which was supposed to show me the way of life, instead gave me the death penalty. Sin took advantage of the law and fooled me. It took the good law and used it to make me guilty of death. But still, the law itself is holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my doom? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commandment for its own evil purposes. Psalm 17, a Psalm of David. O Lord, hear my plea for justice. Listen to my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer for it comes from an honest heart. Declare me innocent for you know those who do right. You have tested my thoughts and examined my heart in the night. You have scrutinized me and found nothing amiss for I am determined not to sin in what I say. I have followed your commands, which have kept me from going along with cruel and evil people. My steps have stayed on your path. I have not wavered from following you. I am praying to you because I know you will answer, O God. Bend down and listen as I pray. Show me your unfailing love in wonderful ways. You save with your strength those who seek refuge from their enemies. Guard me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Protect me from the wicked people who attack me, from murderous enemies who surround me. They are without pity. Listen to their boasting. They track me down, surround me, and throw me to the ground. They are like hungry lions eager to tear me apart, like young lions in hiding, waiting for their chance. Arise, O Lord, stand against them and bring them to their knees. Rescue me from the wicked with your sword. Save me by your mighty hand, O Lord, from those whose only concern is earthly gain. May they have their punishment in full. May their children inherit more of the same. And may the judgment continue to their children's children. But because I have done what is right, I will see you. When I awake, I will be fully satisfied For I will see you face to face. Proverbs 19, 22 and 23. Loyalty makes a person attractive. And it is better to be poor than dishonest. Fear of the Lord gives life security and protection from harm. And to end today, I want to continue to share with you a little bit from the book, The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. And we are talking about spiritual transformation, which he refers to as morphing. Um, And he writes, when morphing happens, I don't just do the things Jesus would have done. I find myself wanting to do them. They appeal to me. They make sense. I don't just go around trying to do the right things. I become the right sort of person. And then he goes on in this chapter called Surprised by Change, um, which talks about the fact that most people don't even expect to change. They don't expect that God is going to change them, but that is God's goal indeed. And he discusses here the danger of pseudo-transformation. He says, the great danger that arises when we don't experience authentic transportation, transportation transformation is that we will settle for what might be called pseudo-transformation, We know that as Christians, we are called to, quote, come out and separate, that our faith and spiritual commitment should make us different somehow. But if we are not marked by greater and greater amounts of love and joy, we will inevitably look for substitutes, substitute ways of distinguishing ourselves from those who are not Christians. This deep pattern is almost inescapable for religious people. If we do not become changed from the inside out, if we don't morph, We will be tempted to find external methods to satisfy our need to feel that we're different from those outside the faith. If we cannot be transformed, we will settle for being informed or conformed. And let me see if I can um, find the last piece that I wanted to share with you. Um. This part is reminiscent of the sermon we had this uh, last Sunday. Am I growing in love for God and his people? The real issue is what kind of people we are becoming. Oh, I know where it was. Um, Right here. It says, tragically, it is possible to think we are becoming more spiritual when, in fact, we are only becoming more smug and judgmental. Pseudo-transformation means becoming what Mark Twain once called a, quote, good man in the worst sense of the word. Winston Churchill told that a political opponent of his by the name of Cripps, who was widely disliked for his smug self-righteousness, had just stopped smoking cigars, commented, too bad, those cigars were his last contact with humanity. Another time, as the story goes, Churchill saw Cripps passing by and remarked, "There, but for the grace of God goes God. Getting clear on what the spiritual life looks like a casual affair. this is life or death to the soul. Sheldon Van Aaen wrote that the strongest argument for Christianity is Christians one drawing life from God, the strongest argument against Christianity." also Christians, when they become exclusive, self-righteous, and complacent. Dallas Willard writes, How many people are radically and permanently repelled from the way by Christians who are unfeeling, stiff, unapproachable, boringly lifeless, obsessive, and dissatisfied? Yet such Christians are everywhere. And what they are missing is the wholesome liveliness springing from a balanced vitality with the freedom of God's loving rule. Spirituality, wrongly understood or or pursued, is a major source of human misery and rebellion against God. So how do I know if I am settling for pseudo-transformation instead of the real Well, tune in tomorrow and you will find out. I hope you have a wonderful day. Ah! I'm going to drop my phone. (laughs) Love you all.